This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, The Legendary Dog Whistle Branding. Almost a year ago, I had an opportunity to teach a branding workshop to the Founders Institute, the world's largest pre-seed accelerator. After the workshop, one of the participants reached out to me on LinkedIn, asking for advice and to keep me updated on his journey. That founder, Blake Birdman, was in the early stages of launching a San Diego-based premium sparkling soda brand. He sent me early mock-ups of their brand identity, website, and product. Earlier this year, Blake and his co-founders officially launched Spade, a soda brand for healthy, conscious consumers like me who refuse to settle for high-sugar formulas and questionable ingredients. I invited Blake on the podcast to talk about why he and his co-founders decided to go after the soda industry, what they've learned since launching, and where the biggest opportunity lies from a category and positioning perspective for Spade. Now, before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter at the link in the show notes. And also, be sure to head over to ironboundmedia.com to download your official copy of the Dog Whistle Branding Playbook. All right, enough of me talking. Gunny, you know what to do. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and Mission Plus, where together we're building the next generation of confident, resilient, and badass entrepreneurs and brands to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding and founder of Ironbound Media. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Blake, my brother. Hey. Welcome to Dog Whistle Branding. What's going on, man? Not much. It's great to be here. I'm happy to uh, present my brand today and, and talk to your crowd. Y'all can't see Blake, y'all, but he's rocking his uh, spade swag. Looks pretty dope. To bring listeners up to speed, I connected with Blake a year ago at the Founder Institute. So I got brought in to, I think, do a branding session for one of the cohorts. And you immediately kind of messaged me afterwards, and we connected on LinkedIn. And then you actually sent me some mock-ups when you were looking to decide, hey, what's the best brand identity for the product? So you kind of kept me informed of what you were doing. I'm sure it's some other mentors and stuff as well. And I was like, you know what, man? I would love to kind of get you on the podcast and chop it up because I think CPG is a dope kind of category of businesses. It's very hard. It's very challenging. Brand is a strong differentiator in that space. And so I'm excited to kind of talk to talk through it with you as well as like your origin story of like, why do you decide to launch Spade in the first place? So let's dive right in, man. Just go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Bring us up to speed on what Spade is for those that aren't uh, familiar with it, and then we can keep it going. Yeah. So my name is Blake, founder of Spade Sodas. We're essentially a premium healthy soda. We call it premium sparkling soda. We got that middle grade carbonation level, so a little bit more palatable, easier to consume than a traditional overcarbonated soda, but a little bit more carbonated than a sparkling water. In terms of taste, we are as bold tasting as a traditional soda, but without any of the bad stuff zero harmful ingredients, all natural, zero sugar, zero calories. We literally only have six ingredients in this product, and one of which is just water. We have two electrolytes in the product. 
a natural flavor for whichever flavor we're working with. We also have a, a natural sweetener, which is stevia. And as I mentioned, it's a premium soda. So I know you can't see me on the call, but uh, if you look at the brand on our website, you'll notice that it gives off a, a bit of a premium feel to it. So we're trying to elevate the soda category as well, which is, you know, soda has always been seen as a commodity almost. It's uh, on the, the bottom shelf. But nowadays, there's all these healthier sodas coming out, healthier products in general, premiumizing categories across consumer packaged goods. But soda is the category that has just recently started to become premiumized. And, and we're one of the, the players on the forefront of that. And we're excited to really launch this brand. And we've seen some great success so far. So, yeah. Talk to us about the origin story. Where'd you come up with this idea and why soda? And you know, CBG is a hard category. I mean, you got to move a lot of product. You know, you start talking about founder compensation and everything, right? It's a long time until, you know, founders start actually making some real money in, in the space. Unless you're like a liquid death or something and, you know, you raise some venture capital right out the gate. But, like, most people don't realize, like, the industry you go after really kind of dictates the experience you're going to have on the way up. Yep. You know, so if you're doing fitness... That's a hard industry. Agency, it's hard. It's feast or famine. But, you know, I can sell a client and then I get pretty good margin just right out the gate. So uh, I'm curious to know, like, why CPG and why Spade in the first place? Yeah. So I was actually one of those people that didn't have a full understanding of what I was getting myself into when I started launching a beverage company. But I really saw a need and I really wanted to fix this problem that I had. Me and my co-founder actually both had a shared problem here. And we essentially just overlooked all the, the naysay about starting a beverage company, CPG, you know, all that, how hard it is. We said, we want to do this. We want this product on the market. We know we want it. We know there's a lot of people out there that want a product like this. We essentially realized that, you know, there wasn't a perfect healthy soda out on the market. Soda, if you walk down the soda aisle, you know, it's the brands that have been there for over 100 years. You've got your Coke, Pepsi, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's also sparkling waters, which are supposed to be like a healthier alternative to sodas, but they really just don't deliver on that taste. It's very mild flavored, but it is a lot better for you, you know, zero sugar, zero calories. We wanted to basically clash those two categories together and create the perfect soda, something that tasted as good as soda, but with the health qualities of a sparkling water. We realized there was nothing out there on the market at the time. This was maybe four years ago. We saw some brands starting to approach this space, but again, they're still very early as well. They didn't really speak to our demographic uh, as the co-founders. They they were a little bit more flamboyant, more feminine focused. We're looking to bring a more gender neutral, masculine vibe to this category as well. So we just saw a need for this, and we really wanted to provide a solution to this problem uh, that we saw. That's the main reason why we got into it. That was a few years ago. We started to realize you know, how capital intensive this industry was. So we took a step back. Before we actually launched this product, we made sure to develop a product, develop a brand that we know will succeed in the market. So we spent a lot of time during product development doing just that. We spent, I think, six to eight months on branding and the can design and, and all of that. That probably took the longest time. That's what you brought up earlier on this call. You know, you, you helped provide us some guidance on our branding and our, our voice and all of that. And then we also spent uh, around six months as well on the formulation. We went to focus groups. We'd have them try our products, give us feedback on the different iterations of our, of our flavors. They would come back saying, well, it needs to be a little bit more sweet. 
or it's a little bit too citrusy, et cetera. And, and we would continue to iterate until we landed on a product that was unanimously delicious and also compared to against our competition at or better in terms of enjoyment. So that's kind of the, the launch story of Spade. And we actually finally launched after you know, three years of I- from ideation to development to July of this year, we, we officially launched in retail in San Diego. And uh, we're starting to approach natural grocers around here. We're also selling nationwide online. And we've seen, seen success across both channels. And we're really happy to, to have launched this brand. And uh, we know that the, the time that it took to really develop it was, was, was worthwhile. All right. That's the polished story of the launch. All right. Let's, let's, let's take off the arm a little bit. All right. So, you, you know, Blake's background, he's an engineer by trade, got some masters in, is it electrical engineering or mechanical engineering? Mechanical. So mechanical engineering, very process oriented. Like you said, you spent, you know, three to four years ideating and yada, yada, yada. All right. Now you launch, you start getting punched in the face. Yep. All right. What have you learned launching the brand? Like what has shifted in your mind from, you know, what you perceive to be true versus what you all are actually finding out, taking it to market? So what, you know, I, I, this might be a fallacy that a lot of founders have when they are developing a product, but they just assume that it's going to start selling itself. And like right when you get on shelf, that's the end. That's the win that you're looking for. And then you're, you're pretty much set. But, you know, that's just that's the first half of the battle. If anything, that's the first 10% of the battle. Once you're on shelf, you need to get awareness. You need to get people to even realize that you're even on that shelf to go into the stores and, and want to purchase. You need to spread awareness about why you're the better product for them. They're not just going to buy it. Some will. Some will be drawn in by the branding and the can design, which is why we spent a lot of time up front hammering that out. And we do get a lot of first-time trial from people walking down the aisles, just being drawn into it. But there's still a massive crowd of people out there that are just you know, blind eye, tunnel vision, walking down the aisle, don't even know, doesn't even know it exists when it could be fixing a need that they have. So the biggest battle, the hardest thing that we learned was that you really got to spread awareness as much as possible in order to get this product to succeed. And that's what we're still working on today, figuring out the best marketing practices in order to market our product efficiently, effectively, and within our brand's voice and tone. So... I hear this and I'm like, okay, you got to drive sales. You've got the wholesale deals out the gate. How did you uh, make that happen? So before we actually launched in July, we, we had product samples, basically plastic bottles with our formula inside of it that we would take to buyers of these grocers, have them try it, say, this is what it's going to look like, you know, show them a picture, uh, print out picture of what the can design will look like and say, this is, you know, this is what we're making. If we can get a, a letter of intent from you that you would purchase, you know, X amount, That'll help us, you know, understand the uh, volume of product that we'll need to produce for launch and how long that'll last us. And we we went and did that for uh, a month before we launched, got several uh, letters of intent. So right when we got product on hand, essentially immediately just dropped off product at these retail stores and got paid within the next 30 days from dropping it off. So that's kind of how we we managed the cash flow problem, the the cash flow struggle that most CBG brands have, especially early on is we try to guarantee as much sales before we even produce product by the time we produce it. Now, one of the things that you did was you did invest in brand heavily early on. You know, you and I talked, the agency that you worked with to launch Bay, what's it called? The, the Colony out of uh, Los Angeles. I'm happy to connect anyone, but they were incredible. They've built some amazing brands that we look up to. For example, uh, Spindrift is probably one of the more notable ones. That's a sparkling water. 
They also produced trough hot sauces and other condiment sauces brand design. And what we really liked about those two designs was the simplicity of it, but also the premium feel that it gave off and the, the, also the purity and the formula that you can kind of get from just looking at the can design alone. And that's something we really wanted our brand to, to I guess, admit to consumers. So we went with them. We did vet several others and the colony by far just had the, the cleanest designs. You were coming out and you're saying, hey, we're going to be a premium beverage brand. So, and did y'all bootstrap or did you raise capital? Completely bootstrap. Even to this point, we've fully self-funded this business up until where we are right now. We are actively fundraising because we, we, we kind of broken out our launch into a couple phases here, actually a few. We're in phase one, bootstrap, self-funded, let's get product on shelf. Let's prove somewhat of a market fit to take this data to investors to then scale this and grow this business to where we actually foresee us being profitable. So in order to attract investors, you got to show some sales numbers, right? So we weren't able to raise any funds prior to launching. So we had to self-fund all of this. And now we're raising a million dollars in hopes of getting our brand to become a $3 million annual revenue run rate business. And then from there, we'll raise some more funds and then hopefully become a $30 million and so on and so on. These are how our phases progress. That's dope. Now, this is why I asked this, okay? You're bootstrapping your business and you spend a lot of money on branding because the colony isn't cheap. They're a serious agency. What was your thought process behind doing that? Because early on for bootstrap founders, I feel like a lot of them spend the time, how do I say this, you know, penny pension, right? Versus you and your co-founders, there's three of you total, correct? Yep. You invested in this branding when you still got to pay distributors to you know, get the product out. You've got to buy the cans. You got to do all this other stuff, right? How did you justify that expense? So we had goals set in place by the end of this first phase, you know, up until this current fundraise that we're in right now, we had some milestones that we wanted to reach. The biggest milestone of this phase is that we wanted to make sure that this product is selling well in the stores. And we knew that one of the biggest driving factors being so early when there's not as much brand awareness is going to be the the can design itself. And it being able to really sell itself. We really need to show that people are being drawn into this product in order to reach the velocities that we're targeting so that we can excite investors. That's why we spent uh, a large sum on branding very early on to make sure we can reach those numbers. And in terms of the other budgets that we have, you know, being bootstrapped, we penny pinched everywhere else except for uh, the formula and everything. The formula in, in creating that, we actually worked out a deal with our formulator to where we basically sign into working with them to purchase our flavors for the longevity of this business. So they don't actually charge us anything to formulate our product because they're expecting to make money on the back end as we continue to buy our ingredients through them. So, but everywhere else, we, we penny pinched, you know, whether it be our salaries, whether it be our, our marketing expenses while we're in the stores distribution, everything that you mentioned as well. All right. So here's what I want to say. I think you're in an interesting space. All right. And before I share my thoughts, I want to ask you, I'm put you on the spot. What's your category strategy? Our category strategy within uh, healthy soda. So this is, I mean, I can answer this based off of our differentiators. And I think that's kind of, that's a way to answer your question. This is how we're going to win in this category. And our biggest differentiators 
against our current competition is that our product has a much more versatile brand and formula. What I mean by versatile is that this product can be consumed for more reasons than just a refreshment. You know, like our competition, really people only drink it as a refreshment because it's delicious and it, you know, that they want to have it with their meal. However, with our product, it can be used as a sports recovery drink because of the electrolytes. It can be used as a non-alcoholic alternative because of the branding. It, it kind of looks cool in like a bar alcohol consuming setting. It can also work as a delicious cocktail mixer because we uh, have very bold flavor. We want it to really pair well with liquor as well. So it can be used for, it can be consumed for many different reasons. Along with that, it can also be consumed in many different settings. It can be consumed in more premium upscale settings because, you know, this is a premium brand that we designed here. We wanted this, we wanted this brand to be able to make sense in like a, let's say, for example, like a Fleming Steakhouse or like a Nobu Sushi. You know, it would make sense if a server brought this out compared to our competition. If they were to bring out uh, our competition without dropping any names, it may seem out of place. We wanted to make sure we can work in a high-end establishment, but also in a casual one. You know, we want people to feel comfortable walking around the streets, just consuming our product uh, casually as well. So the, the win there with versatility, all that means is that this product is set up to be purchased more frequently than the competition. People are going to be consuming it for multiple reasons in multiple different settings. So we should be reaching greater velocities, greater volumes than, than our competition. So that's, that's how we really expect to win in this category is by outselling our competition. I love it. And this is, first of all, this is a podcast, y'all. So we're thinking out loud on this show. I am not the expert, right? I'm just the host of the show. And I get to learn a lot from my amazing guests like Blake on here. But I got to be honest, Blake, like, I don't know if you're going to end up in the premium sparkling soda. Mm -hmm. This is why I say this, okay? I'm going to use myself as an example, okay? It's been five weeks since I've had a drop of alcohol. I've been laying off alcohol. I'm trying to lean out a little bit, right? See a lot of people just fucking drinking and smoking all day. And I just am aware of escapism. Okay. And I'm trying to be the best entrepreneur I can be, whether it's with Ironbound Media or as a business coach or with Ironbound Box and stuff, et cetera. So I'm taking my health serious. And that means pulling back on alcohol. So you know what I do? I have to find alternatives. Okay. So I drink poppy. And poppy's category is probiotic soda. I didn't know what the hell probiotic soda was until I started drinking poppy. I just knew that I was looking for an alternative to alcohol. And they got this great, like, lemon ginger beer, that, uh, lemon ginger drink that's, like, super good, right? So I drink that, okay? The other day, there's a wine store in my building. Me and my girlfriend, we go to the wine store. And I asked them, I said, hey, do you guys got any non-alcoholic cocktails or whatever? And they point me to the rack. There's all these different little cocktails that I was intrigued by, but I went with non-alcoholic wine because I didn't even know that was a thing. And so immediately when I say oh, your brand and I saw all the position and everything, I'm wondering if positioning as soda, you know, kind of sparkling soda is going to be where you guys end up as opposed to like being on the shelf in this wine store as like a non-alcoholic soda or a non-alcoholic kind of cocktail or et cetera. And I think there's an opportunity there to kind of carve out your own niche because one of my clients is actually was Wild Bill Sodas. I'm hoping to get them on the podcast too. And they specialize in like old fashioned sodas, but their differentiation is their distribution. So they do the fairs, the events, 
you know, they sell these mugs where you get like free refills of soda. You pay for the mug like $60 and then you're at like Comic-Con or wherever. And then they just freaking like crush it. So I see a lot of saturation in the CPG space, particularly around sodas. But I'm looking at the way the winners are positioning themselves from probiotic soda, from premium tonic water is another category. And it seems like they have intentionally avoided trying to even be compared to like the, you know, the Coca-Colas and stuff. It's like they're introducing these new categories. You know, it's interesting because at first when these brands that you mentioned, uh, specifically Poppy and also Olipop, the, the sparkling tonic, they did launch with that that ethos. You know, they wanted to be that that probiotic soda and they put that on the front panel. You know, they, they wanted their consumer to realize that right away or a tonic soda. However, if you look at their cans now, actually, they've completely changed their strategy. This is something that's very recent, probably within the last couple of months. And I actually listened to the founders of Poppy talk about this. They started to realize that a majority of their consumers were just like you. They didn't know what a probiotic was. They don't really care about the free probiotics that are in the product. More so, they care about just the fact that it's a healthy soda. So they're starting to realize that people are consuming their product because it is a healthy soda, not for any other reasons other than that. So they are leaning more heavily on it being a healthy soda. Literally, if you go to, I think it's Olipop's website, they have a little slogan now. It's like soda for happier you. And then Poppy also has a, a new slogan that, has, that calls out it being a soda. So I think they're starting to realize that there's this opportunity here in the soda space. And this is kind of what I was touching on earlier is that the soda aisle, you know, it's been the same for over a hundred years. And now there's only a few players that are starting to enter this space and they really see an opportunity there to seize this, this, this aisle space because it's not as saturated as some of the other aisles. And, and what I mean by saturated is saturated by new brands. If you look at the sparkling water aisle, you know, you'll see a thousand new brands on, the, on that shelf that you've never heard of. Same with energy drinks. You know, you'll see a million energy drinks popping up every single day. Soda, I mean, I can name five off the top of my head. So it's, it's a completely underpenetrated market and they're really trying to seize that opportunity. And when you talked about, you know, the, the niche of, you know, the, the wine alternative, cocktail alternatives, we, you know, we, the way we look at our brand, everyone recommends, even you, you know, you recommended this to us as well early on. You got to niche down. You got to speak to a specific person and really just like speak to them so that they get drawn into your brand. We're actually taking a different approach. And I know this might be a little controversial. I'd love to debate it with you, but we're trying to niche out. We want to, we want to make a product that is scalable for the masses, a product for everyone that can be used for any different reason why they'd want to use it. You know, if you were specifically looking for a cocktail alternative that day, you can consume our product for that. But another person who's looking for a product that's just a healthy soda, they can also consume our product. So our product can sit in many different categories and cater different needs, even though it's the same product. We're basically broadening our portfolio because of that. I know it's not niching down and, and that is a, a you know, very well-discussed concept, but we really see a lot of different demographics drinking this product, whether it be moms and their kids or you know, healthy college kids. You know, it can just be it can be anyone. Here's the thing about business. Winners win. Okay. We can play book it all day, but the enemy has a choice, i.e. the consumer. Not that the consumer is the enemy, but you get what I'm saying, right? So like, I can give all the advice. You can list all the mentors and stuff, et cetera, right? 
But at the end of the day, the results will speak for itself. And sometimes that's the founder following their gut instinct, or sometimes it's following principles and frameworks that have ring true over and over again. But all we know is that time will tell. Here's what I'll say about one thing. Number one, I think what Poppy and Olipop found out is the mistake of just because you create a new category doesn't mean people are going to know what the hell you're talking about at first. And so, yeah, if you put sparkling tonic or probiotic soda on that category as your your category, you're going to go over 99.9% of people's heads. However, as you scale up and you dominate and you become synonymous with the category, at a certain point, people aren't going to go to the grocery store looking for soda. They're going to go looking for kombucha. They're going to go looking for non-alcoholic beverages. They're going to go looking for probiotic soda. And that's a little bit of a longer play. And when a lot of early stage founders make the mistake of they try to lead with category too soon, right? It's like, it's good for you to know because you've got to have a vision and stuff, et cetera. But that doesn't mean the consumer has caught up with you yet. So I always try to tell people, make it plain. Don't confuse consumers in the early validation, you know, getting a certain revenue number. But then you set a benchmark and say, hey, once we get to this point and we become synonymous with X, then we can flip, right? So like, I had no idea that, let's say ChatGPT for an example. Nobody knew what the hell prompt engineering was five years ago. But now that more and more people diddle around with ChatGPT trying to put the right wording and message again, it's like it clicks. Oh, prompt engineering. Oh, it makes sense because it's synonymous with the category. So I think that's what's going to happen um, in these beverage categories. Like ketchup wasn't always a thing. Somebody created ketchup and Heinz is synonymous with ketchup, right? Spade will be synonymous with right now premium sparkling soda, but we don't know what it's going to look like in the future. Oh, yeah. So there's that aspect. Oh, yeah. The other thing I'll say is with regarding to niching down, Jim Collins has a great kind of framework to think about this, and he calls it fire bullets, think cannonballs. So you fire a bunch of bullets, right? You're out here in non-alcoholic beverages, premium sparkling soda. You're in all these different spaces. But at a certain point, you're going to hit pinging multiple times. Ping, ping, ping. So when you shoot, you literally can't miss. And what happens with particularly bootstrap founders, you don't even have the bandwidth to market to everybody, right? So at a certain point, you're going to have to decide, hey, do I go to this health and wellness event over here and preach the gospel? Do I go talk to Alcoholics Anonymous at this venue, right? Or am I going to, you know, the soda conference or am I doing all this other stuff? And so I think what ends up really, it's a bandwidth kind of deal because you can't be everywhere at once. And so that's why people say, hey, niche down. What's the category? What's the market? You can own hook, line, and sinker that you create this like network effect, right? And San Diego, it sounds like even regionally based, like y'all can be that that team, mm-hmm. you know? Every fucking sports venue, everybody in San Diego needs to be rocking with Spade. And then you scale up. I've talked about it till exhaustion on here around Liquid Death, but they started out, like I did my initial research on Liquid Death. I'm not seeing the guy on like these founder podcasts yet. He was on these random ass punk rock podcast. And then it was like, oh, he's a punk rocker, right? So when he was getting the brand out there, that's where he was spending his time marketing. And now they've since started to scale up. So you got to find a tribe of people that get the brand, that are like super consumers of the brand. They're going to tell you what they love about it. They want to be involved in the flavors and all that other stuff. 
and then you know you can start to kind of scale up. I completely agree with all of that, and we are definitely implementing the the bullets and cannons metaphor with our strategy. That's why you know we've kind of broken this out into a couple phases here. Phase one is all about learning, taking in as much data as we possibly can, but we also don't want to like miss any opportunities here. What we're doing is we're essentially putting our product in as many places as possible to really see what sticks, what what consumer demographic is really being drawn into our brand. And then we run with that in phase two. Once we go into phase two, we have, we'll have a better idea of who we need to market this product toward. And then we run with them and we start marketing towards them. We still will speak to the other crowds as well, but maybe not as heavily. So I completely agree with everything uh, you mentioned there. We do have a general idea of our our target demographic, but you know, being a startup, things change rapidly and you got to be ready and able to pivot at any moment. This is why it's so important to write stuff down and say, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. And then you go out in the market and you find out, mm-hmm. right? And then you take that feedback, you update it. So I do think you're still niching down. That's, you're just doing, you're in the phase doing things that don't scale. Yeah. So you're doing a bunch of different activities and testing a bunch of different areas and figuring out where the draw is. And then based off of that, you'll adjust exactly. because the wrong way to do it is to be so bullish about this one perfect customer, this one market category, stuff, et cetera, absence of feedback. And then you get out there, you start going to market and you're just trying to force a round peg into a square hole instead of recognizing like, Hey, this is really where we're getting the market pool. Exactly. Yeah. I- I agree. I think the, the niching down element of what brands should be doing, it can be time phase. It doesn't have to all, that doesn't have to happen right in the beginning because, you know, you can pick the completely wrong demographic when you're expecting, you know, I want to niche down to this, this specific person, but you can be completely wrong with that hypothesis. And then you test it out and it doesn't work and you put all your eggs in that one basket and then, you know, they don't end up buying it. So I, that's why I think it's best to, to broaden your portfolio early on. And then niche down to the, the ones that you, you want to actually bring into your brand. So what does your marketing activities look like today? Like, how are y'all spending your time to get the word out? Like, bring us down to the tactical level, because we might have a lot of aspiring or people that are already in the fight with their own CPG brand. Yeah, well, this kind of goes back to our original goals of phase one, which is we got to get velocities. We got to show that people like this. People are buying it. So. We know that you know with limited capital, we've got to be as efficient as possible with our marketing. We don't have the budget for you know really lavish social media campaigns that'll get people on their phones to learn about our product and maybe build a lot of buzz there. But will that actually translate into sales? Not really. Can't really tell. You know, it's hard to get them to actually go into the store. So where we saw the uh, most efficient way of using our marketing dollars was right in front of the product, right where it's selling. That, that's through field marketing, whether it be, you know, me and the founding team using our valuable time to go into these stores and table and demo and, and have people try the product and spread awareness through word of mouth or, you know, putting up signage or, or in-store displays to really get the product in front of people's eyes right where they can purchase it. So they can make an impulsive decision right then and there that they want to buy the product, convert that marketing dollar directly into a revenue dollar as fast as possible, rather than, you know, hoping that you're social media campaign will get people to actually go into the store and buy it. So that's, that's what we've been focusing more of our marketing attention is right in the stores themselves. Have you thought about platforming any? And here's what I mean by that. One of the founders I want to get on this podcast is the founder of Killcliff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's a veteran. Uh, Dave Seals. 
Yeah, and then the other one is not Killcliffe. What's the, the FitX? FitAid. It's funny because it those founders, yeah, FitAid or LifeAid is their brand name, but FitAid is one of them. Here's why. I'm I'm a barbell guy, mm-hmm. right? I got two gym memberships, JDI Barbell in Harlem. I'll probably get them on the podcast. And then my local CrossFit gym. And I've been doing CrossFit since 2012. FitAid platformed off the back of CrossFit, right? Because we had this little tribe, you know, you're wearing a little freaking nanos the crossfit nanos or the nike metcon shoes and all these brands were built off the back of crossfit um and fit aid was one of them and i think Killcliff too because that's how i got exposed to Killcliff. my gym owners were like spec op guys and uh they had a fridge full of Killcliff, right mm-hmm. and so when i'm thinking about spade like are there any opportunities currently out there that you could kind of catch a wave of while also not being tied directly into it yeah because if that category drops off the cliff, there's still growth opportunity. Yep, I agree. And it's funny you bring up CrossFit. Actually, one of our co-founders, my cousin also, he's a professional CrossFit athlete, top 25 in the nation, Jake Berman. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. That's why you know, I brought up uh, Atlanta earlier on the call. But uh, yeah, he, he also saw LifeAid as well as Kill Cliff go into the, the CrossFit segment. And he saw the successes of those brands had there and he has a vision for us to do something very similar using his platform actually he has a, a pretty large following on social media he's got a lot of super fans that you know go and support him in his crossfit competitions so we can lean on that we haven't yet we just don't really have the marketing dollars to really lean on a, a community that large but we do have plans to however we don't necessarily see our brand being directly tied with crossfit we don't see crossfitters consuming vast amounts of soda we see them consuming more like Killcliff, Fit-Aid type products, but you know it's still a demographic that we will try to reach maybe as a secondary demographic. Where we primarily see ourselves platforming off of is more of that event slash nightlife space. So large crowd festivals, lively bars and nightclubs, where a lot of people are gathering together in alcohol consuming settings or just fun party settings and just socializing and, and so essentially social settings. Any place there's a lot of large crowd people getting together is what we're looking to penetrate. And that could be through DJs, partnering with different festival groups like Coachella is a big one out here in California, or larger nightclub or hospitality groups like Tau Nightclub in Las Vegas. We're looking to potentially work out some deals with some of the upper management there. What's your background? Like, what's your hobby? How do you spend your time? Well, my background is mechanical engineering. My hobbies, my most recent hobby now is golf. So if I have time outside of starting this company, I'll go golf. But uh, yeah, golfing and engineering are, I guess, my background. All right. So you know the golf community in and out, right? That's your tribe. You know, you know the little country clubs, et cetera, right? You know, I'm a big fan of scratch your own itch, right? Because you know these spaces better than the other. And when I was saying platforming, I wasn't saying specifically CrossFit. I was using that as an example. But I look at that and I say, okay, what are potential growth industries that are new and emerging that you could potentially be the number one drink of pickleball, number one drink of, what's it called, frisbee golf or whatever it is. Um, I just was at a pitch competition yesterday. That's a whole, there's a whole league out there. I think it's like golf tennis or something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like there's all these new kind of light activities that people are doing, you know, pickleball, guess what? Probably doesn't, it's hard to get into as like CrossFit because it's a little bit more established. So like, what are these sports and activities that people are really kind of are growing? 
because it's a different value prop when you come in at the early phase, you grow with them, right? And so as a category and the industry is growing, you're right there kind of side by side and you're borrowing that brand credibility. You're borrowing that audience, right? Instead of having to swim upstream. And most people aren't thinking like that, right? They always think like, oh, well, we want to we get this deal with the NFL. We want to get this deal with that. But little do you know, these courts are popping up all over the place, right? People are looking for new things, speed walking, you know, the number one soda of speed walking or the number one soda of golf or, you know, you were talking about events, game nights, right? That's a specific type of event, you know? So I think there's a lot of like opportunity there. And I'm just getting my listeners to think about like, you know, go two to three steps deeper. You know, it's like business is like chess, right? The easy move to make means it's open for everyone. You want to think and be like, hey, if everyone's going this direction, why are not people going over here? What's the opportunity here? And I've always been fascinated by platforming from a CPG perspective, because to me, it represents that hub and spoke model, right? Instead of having to go and get all these different individual consumers, right? I find that hub that has, that's a network of impact that has access to all these different spokes of potential buyers. And how do I craft a unique value proposition for this specific hub? And a lot of times, like if you're telling me golf, right? Freaking test around with golf, hit up all them country clubs and whatever, because, you know, golf is not as high intensity unless you're at the elite level. Right? A lot of people got these bellies and these guts and yada, yada, yada. You know, maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else. Just a lot of opportunity. No, I agree. I, I you know, haven't really thought about that level of growing with the community. And I think that that would definitely be something that's very beneficial for us. I can see golf, you know, being a great avenue for us to, to work with because golf is starting to become more and more popularized. Uh, young, younger generations are starting to get into it. And I think... Golf as like a you know more elite community. The more elite community of golf is being more accepting of newcomers coming into the the sport, and uh, you know you can see that with Live and all that that's going on. But uh, yeah, I could see us growing with with a new community that's just getting into golf more so just for fun rather than for sport and getting at, actually really good at it because our product is um, you know in, in its core formula it does have electrolytes. It is hydration. Uh, or it is hydrating. So, you know, you can drink this while you're out in the course playing 18. That's like four hours out of your day out in the sun. You do get dehydrated. I've definitely gotten dehydrated. And if you're a person who's looking for a product that has some hydrating qualities, it's a great product for you. Also, if you're just looking for a non-alcoholic alternative because your buddies are drinking, but you don't want to be personally drinking yourself, it's a great way to hold something in your hand that like feels like you're still involved with their camaraderie of of consuming liquor while while playing the sport, but you're not consuming any actual uh, alcohol. So I, I can see a great fit there. But I, I definitely want to look into more opportunities just like that for our brand, because you're right, that is a great way to just grow with a, a growing community, get them to become loyal fans, get them to spread the word, uh, word of mouth about your brand. And then once it gets really big, you know, you're just equally as big as that community. Big fish in little pond, baby. Right. People are always like, oh, like you thought I was in Atlanta, but you found out I'm in Newark. Most people aren't in Newark, New Jersey, you know. So when I launched my brand here, Ironbound Boxing, being a military veteran, starting this boxing gym, et cetera, you know, it, it kind of put me in a category of one, you know. And I think people need to like it's one thing to go somewhere where there's already a bunch of opportunity. Right? And it makes sense. It's a smart thing to do. Yeah. But it's like, man, where can I really be top of the food chain at? 
You know, when people think of this sport or this activity, like how can we position ourselves so that we're number one? And it's risky. It's gutsy. But again, it's just the opportunity to play the long game and something like that. Because here's the deal. Somebody's going to win pickleball. Somebody's going to live, live. I think, is it tennis? What is it? Um, tennis golf or something? Yeah, it's like, golf. What is it called? Frisbee golf, where they throw the disc or disc golf. Yeah, frisbee golf. Yeah. Yeah, disc golf. Somebody's going to win that category. Yeah. You know, somebody's going to be having these massive tournaments and they're going to be sponsors all around and stuff, et cetera. So everybody's going this way. There's these emerging fields that are wide open. And so, you know, I just challenge you to don't discount yourself out of that, particularly as like an emerging brand and stuff, et cetera. It's all about thinking outside the box. When you're this small, you got to find the, the opportunities that don't seem like the smartest move, but lean on that and they have the, the highest growth potential, essentially. For our listeners that are in the CPG space or are considering the CPG space, what words of advice or encouragement do you have for them? Words of advice. If you're just getting into it, really plan it out. Understand, you know, financially what it's going to take to get you where you want to go before you actually produce a product and actually get on shelf. Because it's a very capital intensive industry. You really do need to raise funds in order to grow this business. You need the funds to fuel the marketing efforts, to fuel the product, et cetera. So as, as long as you go into this business, this category, with that understanding, you're setting yourself up for success. And two, it's all about unit economics. You got to make sure your product is cost effective right out of the gate so that you can continue to fuel the business with the, the sales of the product itself. And then in terms of branding, always be adaptable. Always take in the information from the consumer about what they like, what they don't like about the brand. It also goes with the formula too. You always, always got to iterate that to be as perfect as possible. But really got to listen in specifically on the marketing and, and the branding and everything to really get that to speak to the customer, how they want to hear it. Because you have one idea, they have a completely different idea. You don't live in their heads. You got to listen to what they're saying and then pivot to that. So I'm going to record a podcast on this topic, but you speaking about it had me thinking about it. I'm a big proponent of radical differentiation. Like what separates you from all the other options out there. But I was at an event yesterday and I asked the head of the IVMF. So it's the Institute of Veteran and Military Families. He started the Veteran Entrepreneurship Program there. And I said, hey, how do businesses maintain that competitive edge, that value proposition over time? Because chasing growth quarter over quarter, year over year, it's freaking exhausting and it's hard and you're grinding every day. And he said the key that he learned from Starbucks was not radical differentiation, relentless differentiation. So at Starbucks headquarters, they have a sign there or something of Dunkin' Donuts. Right now it's just Dunkin' because to keep them at the forefront of their mind, when people are purchasing coffee, right, we need to constantly differentiate ourselves from Dunkin' Donuts. Mm -hmm. The Starbucks drinker is different, right? That's why they drink a grande, right? Yeah. That's why they're always kind of launching these new flavors and things, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's a whole like newsletter slash podcast topic of what it means to be relentlessly differentiated because this is not a passive thing that you sit back and do. This is something that you're out there at the forefront doing all the time. Certainly. It's not a one-time deal. You know, you can come up with your differentiators in the beginning for your brand, but you got to continue to differentiate, especially as new brands come out that try to mimic your successes. You need to continue to differentiate from them as well. Continue to differentiate from the 
the competition that you're competing against already to really set yourself apart. I completely agree with all of that. And I definitely agree that that is a, a whole another topic in of itself. As you look towards the future of Spade and your own entrepreneurial journey, what's your BHAG? So that big, hairy, audacious goal that y'all are working towards. Well, I mentioned it a little bit earlier that we really do see this product living everywhere. We really do expect this product to be on the shelves at normal grocery stores. You know, you got your Kroger's, your Ralph's. Obviously, it's going to be there. That's that's where soda belongs. But we also expect this to be at large crowd festivals, similar to what Liquid Death did. You know, they're at all the big crowd festivals now. We also see this excelling in fine dining restaurants. We see this excelling at sports events. We really see this everywhere. So we really want to get this everywhere because it, it has the potential to cater to all of those needs. That's our biggest goal is just to put it in all these different environments so people see it everywhere. They start to recognize it. You know, they needed multiple impressions of the same thing before they actually remember what they saw. So that's why we're trying to be in many places all at once. Well, we've got entrepreneurs tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. You've given us so much value today by sharing your story and your lessons learned. As a community, how can we support you and Spade? Well, right now we have a promotion on our website, 20% off of all products, but word of mouth, you know, if you know people that are looking for a healthier alternative to soda or just a healthier alternative to alcohol, because our product can be consumed as a non-alcoholic alternative, point them our direction, you know, show them our website, show them <clears throat> our value proposition. And uh, I'm sure they'll be interested in trying it. And once they try it, they always end up loving it. So just, we got to get. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be sure to include a link to your website um, in our show notes. And like you said, he's got 20% off. So head over and get you some spade. I've got my case. I got to get my case in. Listen, your rollout was great because you reached out to me and you just said, hey, Mike, thanks for, you know, your mentorship, et cetera, et cetera. Here's to get an order of spade discounted, et cetera. So I got to have my admin follow up on that. But I'm looking forward to not only trying the product, but God willing, if it's good, I like it. It's going to be part of my regular staple as I continue to just build a more kind of healthy lifestyle. So I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, and uh, good luck to you and the Spade team. And for all our listeners, do me a favor. Make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter at the link in the show notes if you haven't done so already. I'll actually write about Spade in there because writing helps me think. I keep getting in the hustle, man, and I haven't been able to write nearly as much as I would like, Blake, and I've been doing my Frago Friday videos. But I got to start writing because even just kind of talking with you through, you know, the Spade brand and the opportunities there, you know, I need to get those thoughts out um, in written form. So I appreciate you again. Until next time, everyone. Peace, love. Have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we blend strategy, storytelling and podcasting to transform your brand into a dog whistle for your perfect customer. We believe that audio is the future of publishing and we're committed to leading the movement. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by Mission Plus, a tech platform that helps nonprofit organizations upgrade their websites and leverage technology to deliver their services online. If your organization cares about its mission, then it needs to be built on Mission Plus. You can learn more by visiting missionplus.com.